Lord has spoken. Understand Asa Shaman. Father, I thank you for this church family. I love this church. I love what you're doing here. I love how you're causing us to grow in knowledge of you and intimacy with you as a family. And I'm hearing individual victories constantly. So God, I pray and I ask that today you cause us to be aware of your truth. God, I pray every person here knows how much they matter to you. And I pray every person here knows that they've been called to live a life that's beyond themselves, that fulfills a destiny and a hope for others. And may we never let go of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know what? Ronnie did a really, really great job in setting the tone of what we want to talk about today. The question is, who are you living for and what are you living for? Who are you living for and what are you living for? You and I ought to know that right away. We ought to grab hold of it. And so uh, uh, as a Christian, we know we're living for the Lord. But here's the thing. That not only applies to you and I individually, that applies to our church. Our church ought to know as a church who we exist and are living for and what are we living for. And so we today want to talk about that. And here's how this fits the Oz series. When you and I are living for the right thing and we're doing the right things, your life will soar above. Your life will have meaning. Your life will have clarity. By the way, we as a church will have clarity and focus and direction and what we need to do and what we need to accomplish and how God wants that to occur. You'll know that in your life. It's vital we have that kind of clarity. When things aren't clear, when things aren't clear, you can get lost and you can end up wandering versus living a life that's effective, a life that has meaning to it. Um, I was asked to speak at Western Colorado State University. And so the plan was I'd fly into Denver. I'd get a car because I didn't want to ride one of those little planes. Plus, I wanted to drive through the Rocky Mountains. It's a four-hour drive, not that far. And so I'd get a chance to go there, speak, and experience that. So I got my car and checked into a hotel that I'd be coming back to because I had an early morning flight. And I drove out to the university. When I got there, I was expecting about 500 students. There ended up being 2,500 students. And it was just a blast to be there. So when it was over, there was so much excitement that even though I knew I should probably hop in the car and leave to get a better night's sleep, I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. And I hung out like extra late. So I got in my car. I'm so energized from being with everybody. And, and I'm driving back, listening to worship music. The stars are just incredible that night. There were no clouds hardly in the sky. And I'm driving and driving and driving. And, and I start to think, Denver ought to be coming up about now. I mean, I've been driving four hours and I don't see the lights of Denver. So I'm looking for a town and I finally pull off and, and I go into a 7-Eleven type store. And I said, um, hey, where am I? And the guy said, well, you're outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. I said, how far is Denver? He said, seven hours. And I have an early morning flight to catch. Now, are you ready for this? Because I didn't have clarity, I turned a four-hour drive into an 11-hour drive. Uh, because I didn't have clarity, I ended up going there dead tired rather than energized. Because I had clarity, I ended up having a, 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 mo a moment that became incredibly stressful. By the way, that's not only true of people, and it's true of churches, and true of God's community. Think about this in the Bible. The children of Israel turned an 11-day journey in inheriting the promised land into a 40-year wandering and missing out. They ended up wandering 40 years. Why? Because they didn't have clarity. They didn't know who they should live for and what they should live for. And when they violated that, God could not bring them into the promised land and their lives became amazingly difficult and hard. You and I need to understand that's what's going to happen to us if we haven't locked into this. Which brings us to the whole idea that our church, our church family, all of us who are part of Crossroads, we have a mission statement. 
Now, the mission statement isn't just words. It's what drives us. By the way, the mission statement of our church is my personal mission statement also of what I live for. By the way, not that I'm making it about me. These are born out of Scripture. When you understand the mission statement and you understand this, it's actually God's calling in your life too. So it's something that we all ought to grab hold of. Now, I'm going to ask a question to see if we have clarity. And and this will be a fun test to see. How many of you in here would feel like you know the mission statement of Crossroads Christian Church? Go ahead and raise your hands. I want to see. Okay, uh, not very many. If I were to say it's Christ, cause, and community, how many have understood that enough that you would get that we're all about Christ, cause, community? Would you raise your hands? Okay, that, now, now you know that's our mission statement. By the time it's over, I want everybody to know. And I want you to know what it means. But again, let me tell you why this is important. It's because when you and I understand this and live this, We will live a life that soars above circumstance, that overcomes trials and difficulties, that gives us joy, that gives us love, that gives us meaning, and gives us effectiveness, because it's all born straight out of Scripture. So we're not inventing this, but that's what we want to do. And that's another reason why this card, by the way, everything on this card is about living out that mission statement. And we want to do that, and you'll see that more in a minute. Um, Let's talk about it, though. Crossroads Christian Church exists to bring people to a passionate commitment to Christ. Now, I want you to catch that. Crossroads Christian Church exists that we might bring people to a passionate commitment to Christ. By the way, not just a commitment. It's got to be a passionate commitment. God loves passion. God loves when we have a heart that burns and, and we have an energy that just surges through us. God loves that. And by the way, the, the, the word enthusiasm comes from a Greek word entheos, which means to be in God. When you're in God and I'm in God and God's in us, guess what? We're enthusiastic. We're passionate. And Jesus loves that. So much so, listen to what he says to a church. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, he says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. The Lord said, you know what? I wish you were either on fire for me or hated me. I wish you were hot in the life you live, the passion you live, or I wish you were cold and just couldn't care less. But he said, I wish you'd make a choice. And then he says this in verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, if you've been around very long Christianity and studied it, you know the word spit is a Greek word that means to vomit, to spew out. And, and the reason I want to make sure you don't miss that is like here's, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying people who are apathetic, people who are complacent, make me sick. If you are someone who should have a relationship with me and you're just okay with that and you're not passionate and you're not on fire and you're not energized and you're not motivated, the Lord says that's sickening to me. And by the way, we ought to think about that. If God loves you, that ought to fire you up. And if God loves you so much, he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for you because you matter that much to him. How could we yawn at that? How could we not be excited about it? How could we not have passion? You know why? Because whenever you have love, when you have genuine love, you have passion. And I want to say that again. When you and I have genuine love in our hearts, and and it really is a part of who we are, we have passion. It's just going to happen. It can't happen any other way. Uh, Bob Goff wrote a book that I love, and I'm going to recommend. Bob Goff is an attorney. And by the way, get ready, Crossroads. He's going to be here next spring. Uh, This guy is incredible, on fire for the Lord, a very, very successful attorney. But man, God is using him to do things. So he wrote a book about it called Love Does. Here's the premise of the book. When you have love, it does something. When you have love, it can't just sit back. It can't just relax. Love does something. And when you have love, it motivates you and moves you like Ronnie was talking about. You know you who you're living for and what you're living for. And you grab a hold of that. And Bob talks about how it actually not only does something, you're ready for this, it becomes contagious. It becomes attractive. It becomes something that everybody else wants to be around. And so we need to grab hold. That's really what happens when we have a love for God, a passionate commitment and love for God like we ought to have. In his book, he talks about a young guy named Ryan. Bob and his wife live in a beautiful house that that overlooks a bay. He said right outside the porch, they have a sitting porch that they love. And outside the porch is a sidewalk that goes along the coastline in the bay. And he said, we love to sit there because not only is it a beautiful scenic view, we love it because that's a favorite place for couples to walk hand in hand. 
He said, so my wife and I sit out there and we hold hands and we watch older couples come by hand in hand. We watch younger couples come by hand in hand. We watch all, and he said, you could just see the love. And one night he was sitting out there and a, a single guy came walking by. He stood there and he began to wave. So Bob waved back. And then he waved some more. And Bob waved back. And then he waved again and Bob said, I better go talk to him. And he goes off the porch and walks up and says, hi, I'm Bob. And the guy says, my name's Ryan. And he goes, well, Ryan, you seem pretty excited. Ryan said, I am. I'm in love. And Bob said, that's awesome. And he said, well, you know, I am so in love. I want to ask her to marry me. And Bob said, well, good for you. And he said, well, I got something to ask you. Could I use your backyard to propose to her? And Bob said, Are, what? He goes, I, I would like to take her in your backyard and propose. And, and Bob said, well, you do it, Ryan. You go get your girl. You bring her here. Man, that would be awesome. Feel free to use our backyard. So Ryan's all excited. He takes off running, literally running away. And Bob tells his wife, he said, that's kind of fun. The next night, they're sitting on their porch, and Ryan comes walking up. Bob goes down and says, Ryan, how's it going? You set for the proposal? He said, I am, I am. But I've been thinking about it. Can I ask you a favor? And he said, what is it? He goes, could we like set up a table and have a candlelight dinner on your porch before I ask her? (laughs) Bob said, you know what? I'll cook. You tell me what you want, man. We'll make the meal. You got it, Ryan. I want it to be special. He goes, oh, thank you. Thank you. And he takes off. Next night, Bob's actually hoping Ryan comes. He's loving this. And he's sitting there waiting. And Ryan comes walking. And he goes down and said, all right, we got the date picked. We set to do it. And Ryan said, yes, 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 I've got the date. And would this date work? And Bob said, yes. And then he said, but I got something to ask you. He said, can I invite 20 friends? And could they do the serving? And Bob goes, do it, man. Take it over the top. And he goes, well, then I've got something else I want to ask you. And he said, what? And he goes, could we set up speakers and have music? And then when the meal's over, we could dance. And after I dance with her, I'll ask her. And he goes, you know what, Ryan? I'll, yeah, we'll do it. We'll make it happen. You go for it. So now it's grown into a dinner party. And, and Bob's all excited. Well, the next day, Bob can't wait to talk to Ryan, so he gets off work early. He goes and sits on his porch. No Ryan. He said, I went into a mild depression. I'm missing seeing Ryan. (laughs) The next day, no Ryan. Now he's like, oh, no, I hope nothing happened. And he had no way to contact him. And so now he's really concerned for Ryan. But the third night, here comes Ryan down the walkway, all excited, all upbeat. And Bob goes out there. He goes, how are we doing? Ryan says, I've got it all set. I'm so excited about it. All the people are coming. But I got a favor to ask. And Bob said, what is it? He goes, do you own a boat? And Bob said, actually, I, I do own a boat, a pretty nice boat. And he goes, um, could I borrow it? And he goes, I thought after dinner and the dancing, we could go out on the boat and I could propose to her there. And Bob said, well, my boat's pretty big. So I'll tell you what, I'm your skipper and we'll use my boat. And Ryan's like, yes. And he takes off and now they've got the date set and everything set. But Bob thinks this is not enough. Bob's so caught up in this, so grabbed by this. He goes into his house and he calls a man he knows who heads the whole Coast Guard unit in their area. And he calls him up and says, I have the funniest thing to tell you. Tells him all about Ryan and love and how it all came to be. The guy's cracking up on the phone. And he said, how would you like the Coast Guard to be a part of the proposal? And the guy goes, hey, if that guy's that in love, we're in. We're in. So now the whole United States Coast Guard is going to help with the proposal. So the night comes. Ryan's walking down this beautiful walkway with his girlfriend, Bob and his wife are looking out the window, hiding out so they don't see him. They get to the yard, and all of a sudden he starts to walk on the yard, and she's like pulling back, going, no, where are you going? He's going, come on, come on. And they open a gate to a stranger's house, and she looks on the porch, and there's a beautiful table, candlelit, ready for their dinner. He walks her up on the porch, and they sit down, and the doors open, and out comes different friends serving their food. And she is literally almost in tears, can't believe what's happening. It's so out of the box. It's actually kind of audacious. And then, then they all slip away and the music starts to play their favorite song. And he takes her hand and they start to dance. And after they've danced a little while, he takes her and they walk off the porch through the gate. They're walking down by the bay where all the boats are. And he gets to a particular boat and he grabs her hand and starts to step on the boat. And she's like, what are you doing? And he goes, come on, it's okay. And Bob is hiding. They slip onto the boat, go sit in the outer area. Bob sneaks to his spot. His friends help push the boat off, and out it goes into the bay. 
And they're, they're, they're out a particular spot waiting for that moment. And all of a sudden, out on the shore, Ryan has recruited 50 of his friends who have lights. And they all light them at once. And it spells out, will you marry me? And she looks at it going, oh, and he turns to her and drops on his knee and she starts to cry. And they don't see the Coast Guard firefighting boat sneaking up on him. And when he sees the yes, Bob goes, now, and boom, all these water cannons go shooting off in the air. And, and here's the point, you ready? Bob said this. Bob said, you know what love does? Love becomes contagious. Love becomes embracing. Love becomes infectious. Love becomes whimsical. Why? Because it's intentional and strategic and out of the box and beyond anything. What is he saying? Love's passionate. Now, you ready? Bob said this too. He said, Ryan's love was so contagious, I wanted to be around Ryan. And I want to say this, and I mean this. When you have a passionate love, God wants to be around you. Are you, I'm not kidding. I want to say it again. When you have a passionate love for God, God himself wants to be around you. That's how he feels about you. Now, we want you to have that. I want you to have it. But most of all, you ready? You were made for this. That's what you're made for. And when you're not living that, your life will always have missing pieces, huge holes in it. Now, what does it mean to have a passionate commitment to Christ? Well, it means three things. And I have it in your notes, and I want to have you catch this. The first one is this. It means you love him. Now, that probably, you know, some of you go, okay, I got that one. But catch it. You love him. And you have that be the motivation of your life. Ronnie read this passage to you. I want you to hear it again. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. The word controls there is a Greek word that means it's all-encompassing. It takes over. It's your motivation. Now you catch the love of God becomes my motivation. That's what motivates me to do what I do or not do certain things or act when, when I should. God wants that for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Now, I do not live for me, and you do not live for you. If this love controls me, and it controls you. By the way, if this church is, is controlled by the love of Christ, we exist for him. We know who we're living for and what we're living for. And it's who is him. And it says, we do not live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And if you're brand new here, I know you're probably wondering, what? See, here's what you got to grab. This is not a religion. This is anything but religious. This is all about a love relationship with God and it becomes the motivation of our life. And by the way, we don't just love him. We love him with everything we have. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 was asked this question. What is the greatest commandment in the whole law? What's God's greatest expectation? And what did he say in verse 37? It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, not some of it, an all-encompassing love, all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And this is the greatest and foremost commandment. Now, you ready for this? When I have a passionate commitment to Christ, I love him with everything I have. And I, my motivation in life is the love I have for him. And now catch this. We're motivated by this love. It, it's everything about who we are. And the third thing is this. It's a first love. It's a first love. Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 is talking to a church. And it says in Revelation 2, 4, to a church. But I have this against you, Jesus says. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Crossroads, now if you're visiting today, I'm glad you're here. But for Crossroads, you ready? I pray and hope that Jesus never says those words to us. Don't you agree? We do, does, nobody here wants him to say that. We have to have a first love. And, and God looks and says, that's what I want. By the way, if I have a first love for God, then that means my life is energized and revived and excited. It becomes audacious and whimsical. It becomes uh, so powerful, it can conquer everything. And God wants it. And it comes out in lots of different ways. By the way, it comes out in the way we worship. We want to be a church that worships God because we love God. And by the way, I love our worship music, but that's not why we do it. Why do we do the worship music? Because God loves the worship music. It's about us singing to him and praising him and lifting up. And by the way, why do I lift up hands? Do I go, hey, this makes me feel better? <laughs> you know, I don't walk through the mall going, hey, everybody. You know, uh, you know we do it because we love him. He loves it. He loves it. 
And by the way, I walked in the back room to see my grandchildren before we came out. And Eleni ran around and goes, Papa, and threw her hands in the air. And I thought, oh, man, I love you. You just soared to the top of the will. You know, and... God loves it. When you have a love for God, he wants to be with you. And we worship that way. We get excited that way. And by the way, something else about it, don't miss this. We also want to be in the word. When we have that kind of love for God, we desire desperately to be in the word of God and to have that be true to who we are. And, and so, you know, I want you to catch that. Now, before we do, I want you to read a verse of scripture that just blows my mind. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. it says, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits all eternity. That's God, by the way. Did you realize what this is about to say? The eternal one who lives in eternity wants to live with you. That's what we're about to read. The eternal one who lives in eternity wants to live with you. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, the one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the hearts of the contrite. Do you know what that says? God says, I inhabit all eternity, but I, when you love me, I want to be around you. And when I'm around you, you're going to be revived. You're going to be energized. You're going to have power in your life. And so we, we worship him and want to spend time with him because of that. Now, now, when we do, the best place to do that is in a place called intentional intimacy. Now, what I'm getting at, again, is the ITEL card. That you and I have an intentional intimacy. Every single day, we want to have a quality time with the Lord based on his word. In John 8, 31 and 32, it says this. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, which means you're always in it, consistently in it, then you will truly be disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, if I love God, I am going to want to spend time with God. And I'm going to want to be intimate with God. And so I hope that's what you are. And why do we ask you to look at this and fill this out? Because it's about living out this life with God in an incredible way and having intentional intimacy with him. And so you know what? When I get up in the morning and that's when I happen to do my time, you can do yours when you want. Every single day, I typically grab a cup of coffee, walk outside and pray. Then I go to my desk and I open up God's word and I just ask him to speak to me. And by the way, today was my 3,660th straight day of not missing a day with God. And, um, and I love it. Now, I, I've shared it before, but if you're brand new at this, the first 100 days, there were some days where I went, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. But after the 100 days, for some reason, God did something in me and it changed me. And now it's my favorite moment, my favorite time. It's more intimate than ever. And so I, I talk with him. I read his word. And when I'm done reading the word, I ask him to show me things and I jot them down. I take notes on what God's telling me. And I know some of you go, I'm not a writer. I'm not a journaler. I'm going to tell you, do it anyway. Here's why. I can't tell you the number of times I started writing and God all of a sudden started moving. I, I grabbed that pen or I typed it on my iPad and I became more focused and God started stirring. And you're going to start hearing from God like you never have before. Why? Because you're intentionally intimate with him. It's, it's a date with God. And by the way, I can tell you this. I love spending time with Pam. But the other day she looked at me and said, we haven't been on a date in a long time. And I said, Pam, all the month of July, we were together almost every single day. And she looked at me and said, that's not a date. Wives, is that a date? No, no, no. And if I go to my wife and said, I want to take you on a date, you know what? That becomes intentionally intimate. It becomes joyous, right? And you and I need to have dates with God. He wants to be with you. He wants to share with you. He wants to have that in your life. And so you know what? When you do that, you're truly his disciple. And then you are going to know the truth. The truth will make you free. So that's the first thing you need to do is you need to understand that it begins with you and I. Number one is you need to love him. And I don't think I hit it as well. Number two, you need to live life with him. Number two, you got to live life with him. You have to spend time with him. And so if I have a passionate commitment to Christ and you're looking at your nose, it's number one, I love him. Number two, I live life with him. Number three, what happens? I start to become like him. If I love God and I live life with him, I start to be like him. Now, now think about this. The more time I spend with God, the more he starts to put his nature within me. The more I become conformed to the image of Christ. The more I become a godly person, which means I, I take on God's love and God's care and God's desires. The more I become Christ-like. And when we become that way, it's one of the best compliments anybody could ever pay you. 
uh, during VBS, uh, they had the closing program and I was the main speaker at the end. And so what happened is my son Tim introduced me and I came walking out and sitting right up here was Bonnie Yoder and her four-year-old son Josh. And as I walked up, he hit her and goes, Mom, Mom, is that God? Is that God? And I went to him and told Pam, guess who I am? And uh, you know know what? it's It's about being like him. In Matthew 10, 24 and 25, Jesus said these words. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a slave like his master. Now, we talk about this all the time because it's that important. Do you catch the words, it's enough? In other words, I don't need more in life. Now, God may give me more in life. God may bless me beyond this. But I could tell you, this is what life's all about for you and for me. When I'm like Jesus, it is enough. That means I could be single and happy or married and happy if I'm like Christ. Why? It's enough. It means that that I could have a job that makes lots of money or one that doesn't make as much money. But I'm okay. Why? Because it's enough. I could live in the big house and be happy or the apartment and be happy. Why? Because if I'm like him, it's enough. I could be in the prison or the palace. If I'm like him, it's enough. And by the way, enough doesn't mean it's settling. It's not like, oh, I guess I'll just have to get. No, it's like, oh, I don't need anything more in life. And then God loves you so much, he keeps giving you more. But it's enough when you and I are like him. That's what he wants for us. That's what he wants to happen. And you and I need to grab hold of that. See, when we love him, and we live life with him. And I, I want to emphasize that second one because I didn't hit it as well. And then we become like him. Then everything takes on new meaning. And how do we become like him? 2 Corinthians five seventeen and 18 tells us, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now now grab that. It says we come to him without any pretension. We are unveiled. We open up to him completely and focus on him. And when we do, we're transformed into his image. How do you become like Christ? You focus on him. You spend time with him. You open up to him. And as you do that, he begins to change you. Now I don't, don't want you to miss it. Verse 18, or verse 17, verse 17, it says, and the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Do you remember back in John 8, 31 and 32? Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you what? Let's try it again. The truth will make you free. And did you catch here? It says, when you're near the spirit of God and in the spirit of God, you have liberty. And how do you have liberty? By focusing on the Lord. And so when we have a passionate commitment to Christ, what happens is our life takes on meaning and we know who we're living for and what we're living for. Now, the second thing, We have a passionate commitment to Christ, but we also have a passionate commitment to his cause. Not just a cause, his cause. And so I and you should be motivated by this, driven by this, focused on this. This is a big part of what we do because we're doing it for him. Who we're living for is Jesus. What we're living for is the cause. And so what's the cause? Now, if you're not aware of what the cause is, today I want you to know it. In Luke 19, verse 10, to seek and save that which is lost. To seek and save that which is lost. In other words, we go out wanting to have people come to know Jesus Christ. They're not, if they don't know the Lord, then God wants them brought into the family of God. They want them brought into a relationship with Christ. And so we exist for that. That's our desire. And then Jesus said something really cool in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and by the word, the word go in the Greek has a tense that means as you go or keep going on or as you're moving, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. By the way, let me say this. Do you realize on this card, I, intentional intimacy, T, total surrender, E, experience more, and L, love like Jesus love. This is all that he commanded. If you say, I'm not going to do all these things, you're not doing all he commanded. And by the way, as, as a pastor, I can't, I can't let go of that. i got to say, no, please don't live that way. As the leaders of the church, we're calling everybody here to do all he commanded. That's why, by the way, you don't even need to check the boxes. Just sign the card and say, this is who I am. I'll do all he commanded. I won't be lukewarm. I'm not going to hold back because I want to really live this out. 
This to us is a big deal, and you'll catch this more in a minute why, but I want to have you be a part of it. And we would be people who do all he commands. But notice, as you go, you share Christ. Everywhere you go, you share Christ. And you know what happens? That energizes you. Uh, the other day, I got a chance to golf, and I love golf, but uh, I got a, a chance to golf with a man who's awesome, and this guy's great. But, but I was wondering, does he know the Lord? Do you guys do that? When you meet somebody new is your first question, hmm, are they a Christian? By the way, if, if you say you're here and you're not a Christian, we do that because we love you. We love you. It's the most important thing we can want to know. And so I'm trying to figure out if he is or isn't. He's a really nice guy. And so finally, I, I think the Lord moved. So I looked at him and I said, hey, let me ask you a question. Can you name the three most powerful life-changing moments in your life? And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, when I was born, that's a pretty good one. Um, my, when my son was born and when I got married. Well, you notice he didn't name. And I'm like, yes, I got a non-Christian. Yeah, and so I'm all excited. And, and so he's a great guy and we're building a relationship and talking and sharing. And, and I didn't lead him to Christ right there. I really wish that would have happened, but that's okay. He invited me to dinner, invited me to do stuff with him. And, and so I'm building this bridge with him and I'm all excited about it. And, and so I got home and Pam said, how was golf? You know what? I go, I don't know, golf was okay. Let me tell you what happened with this man. And I started talking and excited. You know why that was more exciting? And when you get a chance to do that, it's more exciting. It's more thrilling. That's what God wants for us. And so that's why, by the way, that's why we live for that. It's a cause that drives us to seek and save the lost. By the way, that's why we're so excited. Are you ready for this? I announced last week in this service that we were going to have one story group in Islamic neighborhood in Anaheim. I got to tell you something. I am excited about that. I don't know if you are, but, but I got to tell you, I had it wrong. We're not going to have one story group. We're going to have 10. 10 story groups down there. And... I just, we've gone from one to 10 and it's because why we care about the people and we want them to know the love of God and the freedom that comes with that. And if you're here today, we want you to know that. By the way, that's why every time we speak and get together, what do we always do? We give an invitation. You know what? If I walked out of here without giving the invitation today, I think it would eat some of you alive. You'd hunt me down. Why didn't you give it? You know what? Since I've been at this church, only one time I didn't give an invitation. Uh, it was the third week I was here or second week I was here. We had a church business meeting after a service and I ended up sharing and it got kind of heavy and we faced some brutal truths, all of which are solved right now. And, and, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to close in prayer. And I closed and I had a line of people coming to ask questions. The third person in line said, um, Pastor Chuck, how do I become a Christian? And I went, what? He goes, yeah, the whole time you were speaking, I thought this place is for real. I want to give my life to Christ. I didn't give the invitation. And I stood there going, God, even in a business meeting, you work. You know, and, and why wouldn't I? And I felt like, Lord, I, I repent. And so, you know, every time we gather together, we give the invitation, right? Now, you ready for this? That's why it is not okay to walk out on the invitation. It is not okay to walk out. When we start asking people to pray the prayer, it's not okay to slip out. When we call for a time we stand to sing and people come forward, it is not okay to slip out. You know why? Because we are motivated by the cause. We believe that that matters so much that you would not do anything to distract. By the way, I would say this. I think it matters so much that ought to be something you're focused on. You should be so thrilled people are coming. That should be a bigger deal than anything else you have today. That needs to be what it is. And if you're brand new, I wanted you to know it so you don't put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. By the way, I had a couple come up to me and they said, uh, we need to share something with you. Actually, we're going to kind of repent. And I said, what is it? And they said, a few weeks ago, we were sitting here and we knew we shouldn't leave during the invitation. And uh, we just thought we had somewhere to go. And so what happened is both of us felt horrible. We knew it was wrong, but we got up and we slipped out. And we found out later on that our daughter went forward. She was sitting right back there wondering where they were. And she said, I can't believe we did that. Now, I want to tell you, I know some of you are going, well, I don't have a daughter to go forward. Let me say this. It's somebody else's daughter. It's someone else's son. Isn't it? It might be someone else's grandfather. One week we had a 93-year-old man walk the aisle. He did it slowly, and I loved every moment of it. Why wouldn't we rejoice over that? That's who we are. That's what we do. And by the way, what if it's somebody who doesn't have any other family to cheer them on? Aren't you glad they have us to cheer them on and do that together? 
And so that's just who we are. That's what we have a passionate commitment to. And so we want to hold to that. Now, the first part of the cause is to seek and save the lost. The second part of the cause is this, help those in need. So if someone walks up and goes, what's the cause? You could say, seek and save the lost and help those in need. James 1, verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and our Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Part of the cause is we help people in need. We help those who are under-resourced. Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 said in the very last day on Judgment Day, he would gather the sheep and the goats. The, the sheep would be on his right, the goats on his left. And he would turn and say to, 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 the, to the sheep, when I was hungry, you visited me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in pr- prison, you made sure I was comforted. And he, said, he says, that's what we do. And you know what he said? He said, that's what's going to matter in the end. And they're going to say, Lord, when did you do that? When did we do that for you? And he's going to say, as you did it under the least of these, you did it to me. When we go to help a child in Kenya or India or Peru or, or by the way, Palestine now is next, we're doing it unto Jesus. When we go and help and care and help rescue them from extreme poverty, we're doing it unto Jesus. When we help a woman who thinks she's at the end of herself and doesn't have hope, we're doing it unto Jesus. And so we do that. We do it at the Corona Norco Rescue Mission. We do it at Adopt the Block, and we do it as God opens the door. And until the Lord comes back, we, as a part of the cause, go and help those in need. Uh, most of you already know that, that in Africa, uh, we right now are up at around 500 children we have rescued from extreme poverty. And here's what I want you to know. Yeah, praise God for that. We give them first the message of Jesus because we know, quoting Rick Warren, it's more important to give, something, give somebody something to live for than something to live on. And so we want to give them something to live for. We want to give them Christ. But then once they found Christ, we want to give them something to live on. Their food, their clothing, their medical care, all those kinds of things so they have hope. And education. And uh, we have a gate that we just are getting ready to take down. By that we mean this. We mean we're, we're actually getting property ready to expand our work and to do more so more children can be let in. And uh, if you go outside, you can see a picture of that gate because that gate haunts us a little. There are kids on the other side that want in. And during our last Kenya trip, Lisa Mitchison walked over to the gate while all the other ministry was happening. And the reason it's up right now is it just creates security. We can't just tear it down and, and go chaotic. And so she's standing at the gate talking to the kids, and they're all talking away. And a little boy is about three deep. He's jumping like this, and he said, I'm going to be in there soon. I'm going to be in there soon. And she said, you are. He said, yeah, our family had our interview. And and we do background check. We check these kids. We make sure it's the right move and and beneficial for them, the family. And And here's the thing. The minute he had the interview, he believed that it'll be very, very soon he'll get in. Isn't that pretty cool? You ready for this? He'll get in if you sponsor him. We have 353 children we need sponsored, $35 a month. Uh, When you walk out all across the lobby, there are pictures of children who need to be sponsored. We're going to take our number up close to 1,000 kids rescued. 35 bucks a month gives them the message of Christ, gives them clothing, food, and an education. And here I want you to know, this is not just some nameless child. They're going, to know, they're going to know you did it. I did ask Lisa, I said, tell me that child's name. She said, Chuck, it was so chaotic, I couldn't get his name. And I thought, oh, because I'd love just to say this little boy. And then it hit me. Why would he even need that? Because the key is, don't we want to sponsor all those kids? Don't we want to make sure every one of them has them? And by the way, let me tell you how personal this is. The little girl we take care of, Jedida, she went up to Lisa and she said, tell Chuck and Pam, I'm going to be a doctor. Now, here's the thing. She doesn't realize I'm the senior pastor. She just knows I'm a part of Crossroads. Do you know what those kids talk about in that slum in Kenya? That Crossroads cares. And they'll know you by name. You'll matter to them more than you know. You might go, oh, okay, I can't remember my child's name. They'll know yours because it's very personal. And by the way, if you choose to, you can go on a trip and you will meet that child. They'll look at you in the eye and thank you. You'll get to know them and develop a relationship. And and by the way, that's there. Here's the thing. After the service today, my prayer is you're going to go out. There's about 200 children left and all 200 will be taken. If you have to wait in line, do it. But, But if you can afford it, do it. I know there are some of you who legitimately can't afford it. That's about 5% of our church family. 95% of us can. 
We can do it. We can take care of these kids. Why do we do it? Because we know God has called us to seek and save the lost, but also to care for those in need. And so that's got to be who we are. Now I'm going to skip the next passage and jump to the last section of the sermon. Here's it. We have a passionate commitment to Christ, to his cause, and to his community. I want to ask you this. What is Jesus' community? What is Jesus' community? It's the church. It's the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus founded the church. Jesus says the church is his bride. Jesus says the church is his body. His community is the church. He loves the church. He thrives for the church. He's coming back for the church. That's what Jesus loves. And you know what? We need to have the same passion for the church he has. I want you to know that that's something God's great desire that you and I would understand that. The word church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, which means the congregation or a community of called out ones. The idea that we gather together in community and share life together around Jesus is what he wants us to do. He's created us to share this with him. He sees it as a high priority. We never miss meeting together. In the letter to the Hebrew Christians, he was writing, the author was writing to a group of people, if they were caught meeting together like this, they would be imprisoned, most likely be tortured, and very likely be killed. And do you know what he told him? He said, don't miss meeting together. Even if it's chance you could be in prison, even if you could be tortured, even if you could be killed, you never miss the church gathering together, the called out ones, it's that important. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another as all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is the coming of Christ. Did you see what he said? Do not give up gathering together. Don't fail to meet together. You know why? The church exists so we would love each other. So we would come and, and share life together. And in 1 John, in 1 John, John begins to talk about how you know you're really saved. Now, now if, here's the point. He says, I want you to know that you have complete assurance that you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the things he repeats over and over again is you know because you love other members of the church. You and I know because we love other members of the church. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says this. But let us love one another. For love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. By this, the love of God was made clear in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation or a substitute for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to, now I'm gonna stop there. I would think what he would say next, we ought to love God. If God so loved us, he gave Jesus Christ, we ought to love God, which by the way, we should, but that's not what it says. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That's what God is saying here. You know why? If God so loved me like that, then you ought to see me as valuable and love me. And if God so loved you like that, we ought to see you valuable and love you. And by the way, regardless of how you act, you might say, well, there's some people at Crossroads, man, they don't act very good. I mean, they're hard to get along with. Well, that gives you a chance to practice unconditional love. God loved them anyway. He loved you anyway, so you should love them anyway. By the way, I'm sure you've never been hard to get along with, right? But you know what? We don't, we don't come here because we're perfect. By, by the way, let me say, we don't come here because we're perfect. We come here because he's perfect. We do that. See, it, it's about the Lord. And if we, we understand this, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That's what he says. That's just who we are and what we do. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The only way God's love is truly going to abide in you and me and be perfected in us is when we come together and love each other the way we should. That's the passion for community, that we love each other that way. First John four nineteen. if you want to skip down, says, this we love because he first loved us if someone says i love god and hates his brother he's a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god whom he has not seen and this commandment we have from him that the one who loves god should love his brother also 
Now, by the way, he's talking about brothers and sisters in the church. He's talking about how we're supposed to be. In Galatians 6.10, it says we ought to love everybody, but especially those of the household of the faith. So we have a special love for one another. But if you have your Bibles, and if you don't, you need to write this one down and make sure you look it up later. 1 John 2.19. 1 John 2.19. One of the great tests of whether someone really is of God or not, are you ready, is that they're a part of the church, the body of Christ. Now, this shocks a lot of people. Listen to what it says. They went out from us. They went out from the church. But they were really not of us. They were really not of the church. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown they are not of us. One of the clearest signs someone's not really in a love relationship with Jesus Christ is they're not a part of the church. By the way, think about this. The church is the body of Christ. How can someone say they're a Christian and not be a part of the body of Christ? It just doesn't work. And so we should have a passionate commitment to his church, to his community, that we come together to share life together and to love each other and know each other and be known by each other. That's what God wants for us. So when you and I are living the life we should, we have a passionate commitment to Christ, to his cause, and to his community. And guess what? Then you know who you're living for. You know who you're living for. You're living for Jesus. And when you live like that, you have a life that soars above. And when you have that passionate love for him, God himself wants to be around you. And then when you know what you're living for, you're living out of a love for him and for his cause and his community. Guess what happens? In that moment, you know more than ever how much you matter to God and what that means to you. And what happens then? And God takes you to a place where you soar above. Even when life's hard, you have a meaning to it. You have a purpose to it. And God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and walk according to his purpose. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it says these words. It says that eye is not seen nor ear heard, nor has it ever entered into the heart or imagination of a man or a woman what God has prepared for those who love him. God has prepared so much for you. But do we love him? Do we love? Do we love the cause of God? And do we love his community? I pray that this church does. By the way, I want to tell you today, it's for you. We're going into that invitation time right now. This is for you. We call it an invitation because the Bible says the Holy Spirit is inviting you to come and find the love of God. The Bible says that Jesus himself is calling out to you to come be loved by him. That passage that we read says Jesus stands at the door and knocks and he wants to come in and he wants to love you and care for you. And you know what? Today we're praying that God... God will touch some of you. And for the very first time, you'll open up your heart to him. So how do you do that? Here's how you do it. What you do, you pray a prayer. You tell God, you say to God, you talk to him and say, I really want this. It's like how Ryan proposed to his girlfriend and she said, yes, God is proposing to you. Come and let me love you. Come and let me share life with you. And today, if God's calling you to do it, I'm gonna ask you, would you pray a prayer with me where you say yes? When I do a wedding, I have a couple up here and I ask them to make vows together. What I'm asking you to do is to say yes to God together and I wanna lead you in that. And so it begins by praying. And then it goes to having a more public thing, uh, just like in a, in a proposal typically is intimate. And, and then what happens, the wedding becomes more private prominent. And so I'm going to ask you to do something audacious and courageous and bold, which is come forward. Why would you do that? Because you love God. Why would you do that? Because it makes this day special. Why does the bride come down the aisle and the groom stand there? It makes that day special when they make the commitment. And in the Bible, we see that's what we're supposed to do with him as his bride. If you pray the prayer and say yes to God, we're going to ask you to do something scary and courageous, which is to walk to an aisle, to come forward down here. Let us greet you and go in this side room where we can share some things with you about how to grow in Christ. But I want to tell you, as much as we want to give you things here, when you make that walk, You and God are doing it together and something happens. It's okay if you bring someone with you, but you and God are doing it together and something happens. So today, I'm I'm hoping some of you will say yes to God for the first time. Today, I'm hoping some of you, some of you recommit your life to Christ. If you today are lukewarm, you know, don't live that way. By the way, God does love you, but he just sickens him that you could have so much more. So why not open up and, and let go of anything that's holding you back, hurt, pain. Maybe it's just you got lost. I don't know. But open back up to God and recommit your life to him. Pray that prayer and make that walk again. By the way, that's what Jesus in Revelation 2 told the the Ephesian church that had left their first love. 
He said, you know what? Remember from where you've fallen. Remember what it used to be like when you loved me? Repent, pray a prayer, and then do what you did at first. Start that walk again. Today, if you, you are a Christian, but you need to recommit, I'm going to ask you to come. Today, if you've never been baptized, which Jesus calls for us to do, he said to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them. We need to baptize those who want to be baptized and choose to be baptized. If you've never done that, I'm going to ask you to come. So my prayer today is there's some of you who are going to open up to God for the first time. Some are going to recommit and some are going to say, I'm going to take the next step. Let's pray together. Father, I praise you and thank you for your love. I praise you and thank you for your love. That love that caused you to send Jesus Christ to the cross for me and for everyone else here. That love, Lord, that controls and motivates us and causes us not to live for ourselves but for you. That love that causes us to live a life that causes us to rise up and soar. And I love it. And God, I pray today, this is the church that loves you with the first love. And I pray, oh God, that this is a place right now where you're, you're seeing we have a passion for you. And God, we want to open up more than ever. Come be with us. I ask for your spirit now, oh God, more than ever to move in this room. And I pray for anyone who's hurting right now, oh God, that you would touch them that they would feel your presence and feel your touch and know your love. And I pray they'd want to open up to you to be healed, to be revived. God, I pray if it's fear that's it's got somebody here and worry, they're just so, they literally have anxiety. God, I pray today they would open up to you. And I pray you'd fill their hearts with your love and your peace and your joy. God, if there's someone here who's hurt today, they were told something that just broke their heart. They can't seem to get it out of their mind. They're not sure what to do next. Oh God, I pray they would now open up and turn to you. Father, I pray also for anyone today who's a Christian, but they're not living 100% sold out. Oh God, I pray right now you'd stir and touch them. And I pray they would open up to you. I pray they'd sense you. And Father, I want to pray today that they would say yes to you again and renew their commitment and be revived and be on fire. And Lord, I want to pray today for anyone for the first time. This is the first time they've ever thought about doing this. They're sensing your presence. They can feel you on them. God, I pray they're going to open up right now and nothing's going to be the same. And I pray for a man who's sitting here today and Lord, his life has been hard and he's made bad choices, but he needs to know that not only do you love him, you're going to make him brand new. You're going to take the weight off him now and it's about to be his. He is about to know your love. So I ask, oh God, that you pray right, that you touch us as we pray, that you move in their hearts and as they pray, you say yes. I want to ask that we keep praying and if you're right with God, would you pray for anybody who needs to pray this prayer? But right now, I'm going to lead that prayer. I'm going to ask you to start this new, new life with God or renewed life with God by whispering this prayer with me. So let's whisper it together. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurt and my pain to free me from my fear, to make me alive, to make me brand new, and to make me yours. And I say yes. Yes, I want you, and yes, I want the life you have for me. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and help me live. Help me live the life I'm meant to live because I'm yours. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God.